Thank you for listening to the Following Films Podcast. Today, my guest is Courtney Gaines. He's an actor best known for his work in films such as Children of the Corn, Back to the Future, Can't Buy Me Love, Colors, The Burbs, and Memphis Bell. Some of his recent credits include Sweet Home Alabama and Benny Bliss and the Disciples of Greatness. In addition to his film work, Gaines has co-starred on several notable television shows, including Seinfeld, Tales from the Crypt, ER, Jag, Charmed, Alias, My Name is Earl, Bones, and The Middle. Gaines has also worked as an acting coach and a musician. We discuss his band Ripple Street, his solo acoustic work, acting, the Stanislavski method, geeking out over Bruce Dern, and his latest project, Queen Bees, that is currently available on VOD. I had a great time chatting with Courtney and hope that his talk of retirement is just talk. And if you look at his IMDb page, there's no sign of him slowing down. Big thanks to Bookmans for sponsoring the show, and thanks to Fort Worth for the song at the end. Enjoy. Hey, Courtney, how are you doing today? Hey, good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. No worries. Thank you. I'm looking behind you. So you're a guitarist. I, I, uh, yes, sir. Like we might be kindred spirits there in that way. So, oh, good. So, uh, what do you, uh, are you, do you do anything beyond just playing for yourself or do you, uh, cause that's where I'm at. I'm not sure if you actually, do you play live or. Um, I have played live, uh, in LA and such, uh, what's going on with me musically right now is I have a, a band called ripple street. We've been putting out, uh, we just put out, uh, three singles. The last one's called would you, and, uh, we're working on the fourth, putting out two more and then we'll call that an EP. Then I also just started doing a, a so, uh, some solo stuff, uh, doing a thing called acoustic gains. And I put out my first song called, uh, there was a time and the next song cherished is coming out on Wednesday. And that's just oh. real stripped down acoustic stuff. Now, is that something you've been able to write more um, over the last 15 months? Where is there more time available to you? Honestly, a lot of these songs are uh, the stuff with my stuff I've had for years. I've just been waiting for the right time. And you're going to how you how you're going to do it. You know, the cost of studios, all those things. Do you go big? Do you go strip it down? What do you do? Um, and then the the Ripple Street stuff. This was this is our second uh, record. Uh, we brought in a new guy, Frankie Abagas, who was a guitar player and also does a lot of engineering stuff. So that really opened up a lot of possibilities. They just, they sent me some material and it just, you know, I was able to write lyrics to it and do vocals pretty, pretty easily. So we've just been banging them out. Wow. What what kind of stuff do you play? What are your influences or anything like that? Yeah. Influence is always, is always a tricky one for me because I think it's not so much um, like who I've, who I've, as an, as an actor and as a musician, I, 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 the smartest thing for me to do is not to try to think about trying to be like anybody else if I can, you know, because, uh, you know, one of, one of the quotes I've always given my son is don't compare yourself to someone else's highlight reel, you know, yeah. you know, and so, I, cause I, you know, like as an actor, you know, I, you know, I'm a method guy and I, I certainly appreciate, you know, uh, method acting and what it has to offer. But like, when you look at the icons, like a Brando or a James Dean, it was very obvious to me that I'm not going to be those guys. You know, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just not them, you know, whatever their looks, their charisma, their whatever. But what I can do is do, you know, get to my emotional, you know, core of whatever I'm supposed to be feeling is the best I can. I feel like I can emotionally hang with anyone, you know, so, but it has to be my, my truth. Right. So I did felt, felt the same thing with music. And it just took me, I think it took me a little longer to find my quote unquote musical voice, but I've also, uh, I also just, I, I I lightened up about it. I think I used to really write very, very personal material, which a lot of this acoustic stuff is going to be. But I've also realized a lot of, a lot of musicians create, in essence, create a character. And when I learned that, that sort sure. of freaked me up as, an, as, as oh, I, I can do that. As a matter of fact, I did a movie a few uh, gosh, how many years ago was it now, uh, called Benny Bliss and the Disciples of Greatness that I produced and was in. And I, was, I played, wrote four or five songs in that, played live. We played live in it. Um, I created this character, Benny Bliss, which was like some like, Evil Knievel meets Elvis, basically, <laughs> with a with an anti-technology rant, you know, about uh, basically the guy through, through electric shock treatment realizes that God is getting lonely because we're spending too much time on our devices and not paying attention to, you know, the universe. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> 
what's funny is we made that movie that was still flip phones we've come a long way since then it's only gotten worse you know? <laughs> kind of the uh the equivalent of network when it was made it was so broad that it was satire and now you're like it oh was, this, this tame uh look was, at uh what yeah, the media I, is I watched like. network again i think this last year and yeah it's 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 more scarily dead on now than it was then <laughs> It, yeah, it, it, yeah, it really is scary how dead on it is. Well, I mean, that, and that's, it, it's one of those things where when you take enough time over when you're talking about these bigger ideas, you can make things that are wildly absurd, but then over time they, they become reality. Well, when you have smart people making them, they're using this little bit of insight to pr- push that out. Uh, Dr. Strangelove is another one of those ones that to me, it's just, it's yeah. my God, how, I can't, I'm, you know, 44, so I can't really imagine the world at that time, but my view of it doesn't, it must've seemed much more farcical than it does now. We're like, yeah, that, that, that's, I mean, especially in the last two years. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. Uh, I saw, a, I saw, a, a, I watched, a, you know, Fried Zakaria on Sundays. I like, I like his, yeah. his, his point of point of view of the world, but this woman came on, I don't remember her name right now, but she, She's an economist, but she's based on she has a degree in and in uh, archaeology and such. And she was comparing tribes and sort of rituals. And she said that Trump's rallies are like basically like going to like a, a WWE wrestling event. And she showed that he used to go to those. He was very involved yeah. in that. And that, in, in, in quite frankly, is the base. I mean, the people that go to those events. Quite, and, and there are people, they are people who will suspend animation, correct? I mean, we think we know wrestling's fake, right. and yet they can fill an entire football stadium, which always amazes me because I can't get past the, the fake side of it. You know what I mean? Um, I, I never have been able to. Uh, even as a kid watching, like my mother loved musicals. Musicals are fun to do. I did, did musicals in high school and stuff, but I can never really get past the the it's it, you know people breaking into song just doesn't seem like realistic to me in any way you know and but i think if you can suspend an, an animation enough for uh, you know a wrestling match i guess you can believe anything he's telling you to at a rally right anything you want to believe so very interesting stuff you know we all do it in our own ways i think we all have our rules that we set up for the things that we'll say this is bullshit, but I'm willing to take it in because there's something here that I really appreciate. Um, you know, it be it whatever film, book, anything, there's going to be a disbelief element to it. Confirmation but, bias, right? Confirmation bias. There you bias, go. Right. But, yeah. but, but for me, watching a movie, though, you know, I, I don't – people say, what's your genre? I don't care about a genre, per se. But well, yeah, really, I really I, that's one thing I love about your, your IMDb page. It's all over the place. It's amazing. So. Yeah. And as an actor, I'm glad that I can do a variety of things that I'm not sort of, you know, in that way pigeonholed, but, but I mean, as a, as a viewer, you know, but really mm. the key, the key to me is, is, is I got to buy it. I got to buy in, you know? So the movies that can make me buy in are the ones that, that, that I, uh, that I tend to gravitate toward. Like, you know, let's use a movie, you know, I, when I made Memphis bell, the director's goal was to make that movie Das boot without wings. I don't know that we accomplished that, but, Doss Boot, when they're sitting there in in that submarine, being quiet, waiting to get bombed. I mean, from an acting point of view, I mean, I mean, like, I mean, like, I mean, the, the reality of it is, they're in this this fake submarine, sitting there in a camera rolling, and they're like, okay, now be worried that you're going to get bombed. That's not easy. Yeah. That's not easy, and yet you really feel like those guys are facing their possible death at any second, and they're not like, Aah! you know, they're, but they're just <laughs> in that depth of 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 the 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 weight of that moment that could be happening in any second i mean i believe i completely when i watch them in that moment i believe and it seems to me they believe and that's to me as a good actor that's what i was taught if you believe they'll believe if i can convince myself yeah as an actor i mean that's what what am i ultimately i'm a professional liar and the person i lie to the most is me if I can get myself to believe it, then how are you not going to believe it? And I and I actually do have a moment like that. And, well, we all have it in Memphis Bell, but I definitely remember getting there, you know, to the point where where, where, where we're coming back and it's after we dropped the bombs and, and uh, you know, Eric Stowe's character, Danny, who he might be dying. And I remember I was just, my hand was just shaking, you know, I was just so locked in. And, you know, the director was, it wasn't totally convinced of everybody else. And he kept going like, come on, let's do it again. And he's like, Courtney, you're in, you're good, 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 you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was just, I was locked into that that place, you know, and um, that's that's the job. 
that's the job to be able to block all that other stuff out and find, you know, find your truth, you know, in, in that moment. So do you think you would be able to find truth in a musical? If you took like the conceit of something like once where it's about a once musician. Is a so great example but, though. You just but it's think, a musical for sure. You, yeah, but it's the way it's done is not a musical. It's not, not as much as I, you know, singing in the rain, I mean, that, that, that iconic moment of him singing yeah, the rain yeah. is beautiful and fantastic and, and, and well done too. It's not like that because they're, the, the premise is they're musicians and they're right. breaking into music as musicians. And that's, I, that's what I love about that movie is it, is, is it, 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 it gives it a, a piece of glue to kind of go from <laughs> here to there. You know, like she's in her own headphones singing the song. You know, it's like it's like it, it totally justifies it. It's not like just and now we break out into song, you know. Um, and plus the music in that is so damn good. I so mean, damn good. Yeah. That guy, you know, makes me. Ju- yeah. When something's good, I honestly get when something's really good, especially like, you know, I've done a lot of acoustic music, whatever. I get jealous. Like a great actor will make me jealous, you know. And that guy in that movie and his songwriting made me jealous. I was yeah, like, man, Hansford, this is I think? such good folk acoustic oh, music, you know? There's a, yeah, it's, I had the chance to see him play a couple years back. Wow. And the, he's playing with that guitar that has the holes inside of it from where the pick guard is gone. And he's just been playing it so aggressively that he's worn holes in the wood on the guitar. And this isn't a theater that holds about 700 people roughly and just goes out there, stands in front of the microphone and does one of these songs just, and it, I'm literally getting goosebumps thinking about that moment right now, the yeah, power of the one voice and guitar. That's fantastic. And, and speaking of holding, I want to, so can you see that guitar right there? I can. Yeah. 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 It's got a little beat up in it, but you know, Willie Nelson plays the only guy that plays a gut string and he plays yeah, it yeah. so far that it's completely got a hole in it. My, one of my, I, well, you can't see it, but Willie Nelson's signature is on that guitar. God I did damn. a, I wow. did a, I did a, um, uh, what was that? Nash Bridges was the show. Okay. And I, yeah, played yeah. His, I played his dying son and I'm not an autograph getting kind of guy as a rule, <laughs> but I was like, come on, man. So I brought that guitar and I had to get all put in makeup to look, I was like dying of AIDS, you know? And, yeah. uh, so I, w- I just, I just manned up and knocked on his trailer door <laughs> and, and he was so nice and so hospitable and, and we talked for a while, and then I said, hey, I have a guitar. Would you mind? He's like, oh, bring it on. Plays <laughs> oh, it for a while. Oh, this is a nice guitar. Like, you know, and science, and I was just like, okay, now I can go to work. Because the whole time I was just been thinking, you know, Willie, would you sign my guitar? So I just wanted to get it out of the way, and I could go to work. And uh, oh. what a great guy. And, uh, you know, one of, my, one of my prized possessions, as it were. Well, do you – I mean – do you find that that's a generational difference when the people that you would consider your peers, the people that you came, that you would have been in high school with or college or whatever that age group is that you feel not that sense of being starstruck, but then you just the doing something like queen bees, the cast on that thing. I mean, I normally I would ask somebody why they would do something, you know, kind of what attracted you, but the cast on this film is stacked. I couldn't imagine not being an autograph hound on that film. Are you back? There we go. Uh, yeah, I kind of kind of lost you right right when uh, I think you were starting to answer the question about uh, Queen Bee. So sorry about that. Not sure what happened. No, not, not, I think it's probably my Wi-Fi. We've been having some troubles. Um, so yeah, no. When I I did I just did a cameo in that, and I was uh, glad to say it stayed in the movie, and I made the trailer, which was really surprising. But yeah, to get a chance to work with Ellen Bernstein, Anne Margaret, Red Divine, and Jane Curtin, I wasn't passing up on that. And. Oh. And what ended up being fantastic was my character, they have a sort of a scene before my characters, my characters watching them and then stills the purse and such, right? So I really got to sit around for the first half of the day and just watch them work. And, you know, I, I, you know, like I said, I'm familiar with different techniques and this and that and the other. And I know like Ellen Bernstein is, you know, method and, and this, and so to watch each of them, they were all, they all had very different, to my opinion, very different styles and techniques. Sure. And, uh, but, you know, each one would stand out in their own right. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Jane Curtin's comic timing, it just it just stands out. Right. It's just it's just there. Something that they say you can't teach, you know. Um, so it was so great to watch each one of their strengths and strong points and how they could all work together. It was that was that was worth the price of admission for me. I could have just stayed there all day and just watched them work. I would have been fine with that. Well, of course. And it's just uh, to get to 
Do you take things away from that still at this point when you watch people work? And you're like, oh, I'm stealing that. I saw what they were doing there from a technical. It's not, it's not even sometimes just stealing it, but recognizing it. And, 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 and yeah, of course, I, I love watching good actors work. You know, um, I've, I've stayed on movies. Uh, gosh, back in the day, I, did this, I think the third movie I ever did was this movie with Divine called Lust in the Dust. And it was just all these <laughs> yeah. great veteran actors on it caesar romero you know uh and and i stayed another two weeks just to watch everybody work wow. and i don't regret that at all plus new mexico it was a shot in new mexico which i'd never been there before santa fe albuquerque fantastic you know taos fell in love with it. i wish i had bought property back in the 80s <laughs> uh, that would have turned out really well for you exactly. I, I didn't have that insight at that young age but uh, to watch to, to get to watch these veteran actors to me i learned learned a lot from them, you know, and, and so, yeah, I loved a lot. I mean, I, you know, you, in these interviews, people don't really ever talk about acting, acting. They just talk about your work or this and that. There's nothing wrong with that, but you get me going on acting. I could talk all day, you know, I mean, uh, techniques and, you know, listening and I just, you know, yeah, that's, it's my, you know, acting is my passion, you know, so. Well, it, I'm actually surprised that when, just the first thing when I see, um, guitarist behind you when people that are involved in acting filmmaking when they don't have that same love for music um they feel like they're very comparable to me the the idea that you're talking about these different styles coming together um if you're playing with other musicians you often have very different training but you have the same the same foundational space that you're working in the chord progressions that work together this these you know the timing has to be the same and then but if you get those right things diving together it's something really beautiful well i think you're talking about you know collaboration and obviously yeah. making movies is a giant one right you see all the credits at the end right i mean it takes it takes a village you know but the same thing yeah with with musicians or whatever i think it's it's for me particularly because i'm not like i said i'm not this amazing you know monster beast you know music <laughs> theory guy but you either have chemistry with people or you don't and right. uh, I've, I've had um, my first band was an acoustic band called the gathering. And it was with uh, a, a girl that named Shane O'Neill that I took acting class with actually, we, were, we, we started writing when she was 13, I was 16 and we just could write music together. I can't, and she, you know, great, great vocal, great chops, but we can just write music together. I can't explain the why it just happens very easily. And sort of the same thing happened with my band ripple street. Uh, uh, the Stephen Lee Adams is his name approached me. My first thought was, well, let's just get together and see what happens. And for some reason, we can write music. But the thing is, with her or with him is very different than when I write by myself. You know, writing with a female uh, vocalist, I've not yeah. done that a few times. That brings out a different guitar you know, for me. And writing with a bass player in a band uh, forces me my vocals to be more sparse and to the point because it's like based off bass riffs and things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whereas a guitar player, an acoustic, your Bob. I was trying to see if I could find it on my phone and I was having trouble. I'm uh, sorry about that, man. No, no worries, man. That happens. Um, you're, you're my last one for the day. So we're not on a rush on my end. So we can, we'll get it. Done. Okay, cool. No, no, no. I mean, it's, it's honestly, I'm just enjoying talking to you. So yeah, if, if, as long as you're okay, then. Okay, cool. Great. Um, you were talking about, um, just collect, collaborating with different artists and how that yeah. brings different things that you're working with a female vocalist versus say, like I'm like my band, a bass player and how that fo- focuses causes me to sort of have to, you know, shorten my lyrics and make my point in a different way. Or like as a music, you know, acoustic, you write a thousand lyrics, you know, you try to be Bob Dylan, you know? So it's like, it's, it's interesting to work with other people because it brings out other things and you get in the studio and you try different things. And if you keep an open mind, something good will happen. If you don't be like, I, my, my, my philosophy, whether it's doing production or doing music, it doesn't matter who comes up with the idea. It doesn't matter who comes up with the best idea. You know what I mean? And and recognize that that's the best idea as opposed to, Oh, wait a minute. It's not the best idea because it's not my idea. That's when creativity stops when that's when ego gets in the way, in my opinion. You know, do you find when you're writing a song on on an acoustic guitar that it has a different feel to it also because of the almost percussive nature of playing an acoustic guitar? Uh, Yeah, I think so. And I also, I think I write, uh, I write most of my stuff on acoustic, but I think that, um, I, again, like I said, I'm not a monster guitar player as much as I am. What I try to do is connect to the the, the guitar just the same way I connect to Zach. Like try to get the feel, like what's the Hmm. feeling I'm having. And can I get, find those chords or those melody lines when I pick up that guitar? And I think that's, so I think I write from an emotional place. And like the last stuff, my, my band Ripple Street, we just put out our last single, uh, would you, it's like a, it's a, I say a black Sabbath esque type song, you know, it's pretty heavy. And, uh, 
they brought me the material that time and, and it was that what they brought that brought out those lyrics it was you know you just you try to get out of the way and let the subconscious come through and let something get said you know don't try to think too hard and just write and uh yeah it became a very kind of ominous tune you know but but it was really because of what they brought to the party you know it was it was it was a heavy heavy vibe well it's those first couple um to me at least the first couple chords that you're stringing together it's that's essentially like the first read through of a screenplay where you're getting an emotional reaction to it. And you're starting to, if, if you work from the other way, it feels forced to me sometimes where you're okay. I need to write a song about X. There's some people that can do that, but to me, it always feels very forced. And if I'm trying the little bit of acting I've done when I've tried to act from that place where it's like, okay, I need to get to this place instead of starting somewhere different then it just, it absolutely doesn't work. That's, that's the trick, right? You've got to get the, the intellect you have to make intellectual choices on one hand and then you have to like let them go on the other hand and get yourself into the space and then play the moment and that's what i love about what i love about film say versus theater nothing wrong with theater but theater you know i mean yes you can keep it fresh every night but essentially you know you can also burn out doing the same thing every night uh uh, in film it's like all this energy's from this crew and everybody's put into this moment and then it happens and then it gets recorded forever. And like, what, if something goes well, it should surprise you really. That's, that's my, when it really goes well is when my subconscious reacts in a way that my intellect could have never thought of. Yeah, that's and I know it's, you know, something good's happening and then believe me, it doesn't always happen that way, you know, but when it does, it, you, you blow your own mind. You're like, Whoa, you know, do you find yourself ever aware of that moment while it's happening or do you need to kind of come down from the scene? Um, no, I, I, I am, I can be aware when it's happening. Uh, the best, when I'm at my best, the way I would describe it is it's like 95% character, 5% me watching from like some remote viewing that because you have to have some consciousness, right? Cause I have to hit a mark or something. Right. And I have to be able to know other people's cues and, and things like that. Right. So there's a part of me that has to be aware. Um, but when I'm at my best, that's what it's like. That's what it's like. That makes sense. Is there uh, a specific film that you can look back to? Cause you've had such a wide and varied career you could say, okay, that's the one that if they, there's only one on my tombstone, is there one that you would say, that's the one you should go back and watch to see what Ugh. I can do? Yikes. That's tough. I don't know. That's tough. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I have that definitive role or that. I mean, I guess, you know, by most people's standards, it'd probably be children of the corn, you know, is the definitive role. You've you gotten know. better since then, though. I, I, I don't. I, okay. I think you're. I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm, and, you know, not that it's a bad performance. I'm not saying that, but I think that you have yeah. more nuance in your performance now. That there was that was more of an atmospheric. Attempt. I think. I think what I've learned, or what I what's, uh, I didn't even say learned. Trans is it's just through doing. Is I've learned how to. What when I when I first started acting, what I would when I would see the performances. I would, I would be like, wow, I was feeling so much more than came across. Why is that happening? Hmm. And then over time now I do less and more comes across and I can't explain that, but it's just something you learn through doing the work itself. Um, And it's not this, that the less is more concept. It's just that you allow yourself to be seen more somehow. Right. It's like Hmm. you allow yourself to be seen more somehow. That's the best way I can describe it. And it's just the years of doing it that you learn that. And sometimes when you're seeing something that close, you can't really put yourself in the, at least to me, witnessing it. You can't project what this is going to look like in a theater, what this is going to look like with music, what this is going to look like in the context of all these scenes being put together. So you, you, it, it can seem very small and underplayed, but then when it's actually being projected, when it's in the film, it's so much bigger. And a lot of times you're like, oh, they crushed it. That was a beautiful scene. And you realize it was way too big. Yeah, no, that's true. And I've, I've been guilty of that as well, for sure. Um, uh, but yeah, you have to, I try to tell myself that, you know, when I'm working, uh, trust that, uh, you know, there's a, if the movie's going well and it's being, like you said, assembled in a good way, there was a moment before this or two that led up to this. And then there's moments after this that also justify it. So you don't have to just always try to make this one scene be all of it. You know what I mean? Trust that, you don't have to do too much. Um, and it's also tough, you know, uh, a lot of times first time filmmakers are always asking you to do more. They don't, they don't trust it. 
and I'm not one as a rule to argue too much. They want to do another take and, 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 you know, I'll just do it. But, uh, but yeah, I hope, what I hope is that they'll see when they go to put it together, like you said, there's some subtleties there that they weren't catching just in the moment, but when they see it, editors usually end up liking me, you know, I end up being an editor, you know, especially in ensembles, editors always come up to me and be like, thank God, man, you were listening. And I could cut away to you in this. I needed a cutaway. I knew I could cut away to you because you were listening. You know, I take that as a great compliment, especially yeah. as a guy who does a lot of ensemble work. I take that as a great compliment because uh, that is my job. And a lot of times people don't, even, you know, people I'm in, in the project with even are not really, they're too busy doing what they're doing to catch what I'm doing because what I'm doing is not a song and dance. You know, it's not that obvious sometimes. And uh, yeah, you can't underestimate, especially like an ensemble is just, you know, if somebody wanted advice as an ensemble actor, I'm like, just listen, you don't have to be talking. You're not, you know, just, you know, when you're talking, you talk, when you're not just be present and listen and, re- and react to that. And that will, it will take care of itself. You know? Well, it's advice that I think you can take out into your day-to-day life. <laughs> in this world nowadays is anybody listening i just don't know man that's that's the problem with like the news you know the it's all on the left or all on the right there's nothing in the middle and there's no accountability for the guys talking like you know like there's no uh, tucker Carlson comes on and starts saying just some complete absurd shit yeah. there's nobody like there to check him and go no that's bullshit dude like in real life at least you're talking shit somebody could like oh you're a liar <laughs> you know but in in the in that space you can just do whatever the hell you want like say whatever the hell you want they shouldn't call it news though because it's not those those guys are entertaining they're not they're not they're not telling facts i mean i miss like the dan rathers and you know like you know, you know yeah. telling me just tell me the damn news let me decide what i think about it don't tell me what well, i should it- be thinking about it it was a much simpler world when we had essentially three non-opinion news networks throwing everything out there. They were reporting on the same stories. If it veered into opinion, that was really the territory of early CNN crossfire and like the McLaughlin group on PBS. That was it. The rest of it was just straight news. And yeah. we had we had an agreed upon set of facts that we could all build out from and have different interpretations of, and that was fine. Um, but now getting to kind of what you were talking about, in society, we might be polite because we're waiting for our turn to talk, but nobody's listening to anybody anymore. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So I went into Bookman's today and decided to try to find one of Courtney Gaines's films. I already had the Arrow release of Children of the Corn, uh, but I had a couple other titles in mind that I'd like to revisit. So I walked in, went over to the Blu-ray section, and within about one minute, I spotted a copy of The Burbs. The Burbs is a 1989 uh, dark comedy directed by Joe Dante. It stars Tom Hanks, Bruce Dern, Carrie Fisher, Corey Feldman, Henry Gibson, and, of course, Courtney Gaines. The film is centered around Tom Hanks, who plays a suburban uh, father who decides to stay home for a peaceful summer vacation, but his plans are shattered when a weird family moves in next door. Screenwriter Dana Olson based the script on his own experiences from childhood. He said, I had an ultra-normal middle-class upbringing, but our town had its own share of psychos. There was a legendary hatchet murder in the 30s, and every once in a while you'd pick up the local paper and read something like, Librarian Kills Family, Self. As a kid, it was fascinating to think that Mr. Flanagan down the street could turn out to be Jack the Ripper. And where there's fear, there's comedy. So I approached the Burbs as Ozzie and Harriet meets Charles Manson. In recent years, there's been a call to return to the Ozzie and Harriet Leave It to Beaver-esque suburbs of the 1950s. A perfect example of how motivated cognition can skew our thoughts on history and our current reality. But this world is and was a fantasy. It never existed. The Burbs beautifully examines the boredom-inspired paranoia and barely-veiled prejudice that often stirs about in most suburban neighborhoods. I was genuinely shocked at how well this movie holds up. A film like American Beauty that's dealing with similar thematic issues and took home the Best Picture uh, Oscar, it feels dated and slightly naive in its view of what it means to age. Dante isn't raising a middle finger to his generation and calling them sellouts. He's laughing at what they've become. And as a part of the generation that ushered in Nirvana, flannel is fashion and like reality bites. I mean, it wasn't all perfect. I get it. 
We didn't think we'd be taking over the suburbs, but here we are. I'm perfectly comfortable in my suburban lifestyle, but I'm fully aware that the 20-year-old version of me uh, thinks I'm a poser. And in some ways, I guess I am. But the one thing that's been consistent in my life is, yes, I'm posing, I'm pretending, I'm faking it, hoping no one will notice that I'm uncomfortable in my own skin. But as I get older, I get closer to caring less every day. And I think that's what Dante was getting at. The frustrations that we often allow to take over our lives are a product of our own boredom and our lack of strife. We're at, we are animals who use fear as a tool to protect ourselves, and we'll find something to be afraid of just to have something to do. But then again, every once in a while, you will read a story, um, like Dana was talking about, about that neighbor in the idealic zip code who went nuts and did something that people will talk about for decades. So are the suburbs perfect? No. Are cities? No. As long as you have large groups of people housed near one another, eventually things will go south. But for the most part, you have nothing to fear in your neighbor or your neighbor's neighbor. If you haven't seen The Burbs, you should definitely remedy that. It's a great film, real easy to watch. If you haven't been to Bookman's lately, you should remedy that as well. Because remember, Bookman's has your cool covered. Enjoy the rest of the show. It's, it, it, you know, and I, I'm guilty of that too, because you always want to make your point. You know, you're like, they're talking, you're like, when can I make my point? <laughs> yeah, that's good. But wait to hear what I have to say. <laughs> you know, but you're, you know, you're, you're, it's true. Um, you know, you can learn a lot from, uh, one thing I, I, you know, I give myself some credit for coming up when I was younger was, uh, you know, I always, I, I always recognized that my, you know, there was elders before me, actors before me and people that I could learn from. And I did, you know. Um, and there are, you know, there are times when like my son, you know, is now in his twenties, but his, his friends are like talking at me and I'm like, and they're talking about like, say the business or something. And I'm like, maybe you should shut up and listen. Like, what the fuck have you done? You know, <laughs> well, you know, it's like, maybe you should be asking questions, you know, from someone you can learn something from, but you know, people are, they want to hear themselves. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely guilty of that, but I find myself, um, we're on I mean, a show it, right now, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, but but it, but it, yeah. I, that's I, the weird thing is, it's that I enjoy hearing people's stories. I, I'm one of those weirdos that actually likes to talk to people and find random conversations with somebody that I just met on a, a bus or a plane or something, and just find those weird oh, the, connections. Those are the best when you can trains to me are the best because on a train you're going to be yeah. on it for a few days and you dine with people. And they actually want to talk on a, on a, on a plane. They might be like, ah, two hours. I'm not going to see you ever again. I don't, want, I don't want to bother, but two, three days on a train. And you'll, yeah, people, I've met some fascinating people who've done some fascinating jobs on trains. You well, you'll, you get past, um, that, that's a, there's a depth of conversation that you have over two to three days, um, that you cannot have in two hours. And that's just, it's why when you would read these great articles in the 70s and Rolling Stone and things like that, they were reporters that were sent out for weeks to work on this one piece. And you just don't see that level, that depth in most of our journalism at this point and seldom in our entertainment. The movie Almost Famous, right? There you go. Based, yeah, exactly. Based on the director himself. Yeah. Having had that experience, which is just incredible. <laughs> what a great, what a great, yeah, wow. Can you imagine he was writing that young and, and on the road no. with these bands? What a mind blowing story. Great movie. Well, Love that movie. You're, well, you're one of those people that found your path pretty early on. Most of us don't have that where, right. you know, I had, I had a love of music and I had a love of film and I dabbled with the idea of trying to do something in that world, but it was something that just wasn't going to come together for me. Um, but you were able to do that. What's that like to have a career trajectory for as long as you've had it? Because most people, even if they want to keep it, can't keep it as long as you've had it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think that I took it for granted until I had a son and who's so much smarter than I am, right? I mean, really, like not even in the same stratosphere, like, you know, brain brain power wise. Um, and, and him struggling with finding what his voice was going to be. Right. And, and, and then realizing that as, as artists, you sometimes know very young, but that's not most people go to college to figure it out. And and that's what I would encourage them to say, is like, look, you know, I knew because I'm a, that's I'm an actor and I knew at a really young age, but that's not common. What I what you're experiencing from your father is not common. What you're experiencing is common and you will find your voice. And uh, 
he has, and he, he's, uh, he, he, uh, got his master's degree in occupational therapy, which, oh, wow. which really, you know, fits him. I feel well, cause he was a, he was a runner. He was a distance runner ran in college as well. And, but also, you know, dealt with injuries and, and also, you know, mm-hmm. from having parents who are actors, psychology being heaped on him, you know? And so it, it's, it's, it's not just psychology. He got his mind his, his degree in psychology, but that's, you know, I didn't see him sitting behind a desk. I saw him being active, you know? So the yeah. occupational therapy allows him to be physical. And he's also really, really good with children. And he just, he just uh, took a job, uh, to be working in Arizona, uh, working with, with uh, kids in, in grammar school. And I think he's going to do, he's, he's really good with young kids. I don't know why he's like, a, he's, but he's a man. They love him. And I think he's going to be fantastic at it. And I think it, but it took years for him to get to this moment where he's going to actually do his profession. Whereas, you know, I started, you know, so many years earlier, you know? Yeah. yeah it took me into my late thirties to figure out what I wanted to kind of do where I felt comfortable. It's like, Oh, this is what I should be doing. But it also didn't exist when I was a teenager, the things that I found that I, that I love doing. So I, I feel very fortunate that I found it ever. Cause I'm not sure that most people find that, that it's just, you find a thing that you can get by doing this idea of having a passion in life, I think is a relatively new concept. <laughs> I think the thing is, is you can have a passion and it doesn't have to be a profession either. Yes. That's, and when people, and when people, you know, one of the, you know, I've, a lot of times I've written this in written interviews, you know, it's not the film industry's job to make sure you're artistically happy. I think when I was younger, I probably felt it was, but it's not right. It's they're they're putting out content. They're spending gobs of money to try to make gobs of money. Yeah. That's what they're doing. So if you're fortunate enough to be an actor that's in the position to choose, and maybe you then can be artistically fulfilled at all times, but um, it's not the industry. If you expect Hollywood to fulfill all your, 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 your artistic dreams, you're, you know, you're, you're going to be, you really deal with a lot of rejection. You did a lot of things. It's up to you. You have to keep finding ways. Like some of the best experiences I've ever had have been doing like theater for free. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, when I had my band in LA, I, you know, one of the moments I cherished, we played a lot of clubs all over LA, but uh, we, we played for the Hollywood trolls, which was a homeless group that lived under the, under the underpass of the freeway. That's one of my favorite shows I ever did, you know, because they were just so appreciative of us coming to them and entertaining them. Right. It was just, a, it wasn't yeah. done for money. It wasn't done for fame. It wasn't done for any of those things, you know? And I think that that's how you, that's how you keep your passion is you do things that you'll, you know, that you'll absolutely you know enjoy and maybe you can contribute something along the way. Um, even doing conventions, you know, I was really anti-convention for a long time because when I first experienced them, I thought they were like the graveyard of acting. And I was like, I don't ever want to be there, you know. But, but when I finally did horror conventions, I realized it wasn't that bad. And horror actors are not most of them. You know, no one's so big in that world that they can think they're <laughs> the shit. Right. So it's a little got a little more of a blue collar world to it, which I like. But I'm glad I've done it because it. I didn't really realize how much of an impact some of these movies had on, that I've done and had on people's lives. And when people say, sure. like, I drove six hours just to see you, you're just like, whoa, right? And like, okay, I may have heard what you, I may hear what you've said before by somebody else, may or something similar. Doesn't matter. I'm going to be present right now. I'm going to look you in the eye and I'm going to listen to what you have to tell me because I know when I have somebody I meet that I admire, I get the chance to tell them something. I want them listening. I want them to hear what I said. I want them to get it. And if, and if someone's a jerk off, I never want to see their movie again. That's a damn, that's a damn truth. You know, yeah. it ruins it for me. If someone's an asshole and I meet them, I just like, you know, I just, all I can think about is how they were an asshole, you know? Uh, but, 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 but yeah, I, I want to be, but it's been great for me as much as I, but I see people, at these conventions who like are bitching, moaning, being there. I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. Let me describe the job to you. You sit at a desk, people come up to you, happy to meet you pay you money to sign your name on a photograph. If that job description was in the fucking papers, could you, you know, everybody <laughs> jump on that goddamn job. Yeah. You know, that's the easiest job in the freaking world. I mean, what, if you're not happy, leave. I mean, what are you doing? Cause, cause all you do is bum out everybody who comes. To, I can't tell many times people have come from meeting somebody they were looking you know, excited to meet and they pissed in their Cheerios and they come to me and they're all like, Oh God, you, you didn't seem like he was having, you know, it bums them out. I mean, why be here if you're going to do that? You know, I don't get there, it. Well, there was, um, I, I think it was Paul McCartney who said something. He basically 
equated it to you have a superpower. You can make somebody's day. You can make their year just by being pleasant. That's it. You can turn around somebody's life just by being a decent human being. You don't, they're, you know, there's some people that'll ask a lot of you, of course, but for the most part, most people are just, you shake their hand, you move on. And that was it. And they're there. He was such a great guy. Like the level of expectation from people that are meeting the people they admire. It's very little. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't take a lot. Right. It doesn't take a lot. I, you know, I learned that lot. You know, it's funny you said that because that, that is what had that impression. One of my, uh, one of my best friends, we were having breakfast one day and somebody came up to me and we had our interchange and I didn't think much, you know, anything of it. And he was like, he said, he said, you know, you just made that person's day. Right. And I never forgot that. And I, and I, right. You have that power. You're, they're, they're giving you that power in essence to, you can make their day or you can ruin their day and uh, you know, might as well make it. But beyond that, it's like, it's been great for me. Like, right. All that feedback from people, yeah. you know, and it happens like, you know, once or twice every show where there's that person who came just to see you. And I always leave that feeling like, this is why I came. Yeah, it's great. I'm going to make a couple bucks and be able to pay my bills this month or whatever. And that's fantastic. But I feel like that's why I came was for those one or two, three people to, to, to connect with. And, and, uh, it's, it's, you know, I try not to take it for granted. Well, I, I mean, anything, once you attach a paycheck to it, there's going to be an element of cynicism that can creep in and motivation and those kinds of things that just can happen. It's just natural to feel like, am I doing this for the right reasons? Am I doing this for the wrong reasons? What was that? I just want to get back to my hotel. I want to get back to my son. I want to get back to my life. Like it's a job at the end of the day, it still is. And so you have those moments that make it worthwhile, hopefully in whatever job you're doing, that's taking you away from the ones that you love that you can hang on to. If you can whine about that job, what can't you whine about? Uh, I don't care. The people I've met like that at conventions, if they made up $10 million, they'd still be bitching and moaning. They're just, they're You're just right. winners, man. That's but, my opinion. <laughs> and, it, and it's in that world, in the horror world, that I, you know, you can name names. And I, I think I would probably be able to guess like the top three without, because they have their I'm not going to say anybody's no, no, name, I, I but I'm not, I'm I think not you probably know the people I'm talking about too. But it's, it, this is, you're feeling this way in a very specific world. You have to understand that if you step 40 feet outside that convention hall, you're a stranger. Nobody is right. that obsessed with these slasher movies from the eighties that they know who, what your place in it was. Exactly. So just, it's great. You get to be the hottest shit Tom Cruise that could possibly be without exactly. paparazzi. You get to enjoy exactly. that. So it's like a gift. Even- Keep it real, man. What I like to do sometimes is go up to those guys and go, hey, man, something wrong? Having a bad day? And they're so shocked because nobody ever calls them on their shit because they're used to, you know, it's all fans who will never say anything. They're like, what? Why not? I'm like, oh, you just look kind of down. <laughs> and I just walk away. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's the the genre fans. They're, there's so much warmth in that community. They're, there's, there's so, they're, they're re- very supportive they take the ugly stepchildren that everybody ignores and they put it up on a pedestal and find artistry and humanity and beauty in these things that other people just leave to the wayside that's true and it also helped it's helped me not take my take myself as seriously in in that what i've learned with horror fans is what i see is grotesque perhaps (laughs) and too much for me to watch they find (laughs) fun and cheeky and uh they find it titillating and you know, they're, and, and so I've learned like, oh, well, they're not taking it that seriously. There's no way I have to take it that seriously. So it's helped lighten me up too. So it turned out to be a good thing. Like, I, though I must say, I think I'm going to, I think for the 40th anniversary of corn, I'm going to call it, I'm going to call it a day as far as conventions. <laughs> You're going to be done after that one? Man, I'm going to be almost, I'm going to be like 50 something, right? I'm going to be almost 60. <laughs> I don't want to be taking pictures with people getting that, leave it at that, you know? Right off to the sunset. So. But you're still doing this stuff like like Hellblazers, for example. That's something that you you're doing. That's that the genre fans are going to go nuts for that just by the cast alone. You know, that's, that's uh, true. you're back with Tony Todd again doing that. That's I mean, that's, that, that's like a con, that's like the Avengers of genre fans, like the cast <laughs> for that thing that you're pulling together. So I was you're talking about Hellblazers, right? Hellblazers, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was. Yeah. I only had a couple of days on that, but uh, yeah, there's a ton of good people in it. But I, I really, the reason I went and did that gig was because, because uh, well, I've worked with the director a few times, but he knew he was going to hook me in to come back because he knew Bruce Dern was going to be there. And he knew how much of a Bruce Dern fan I was and how much I appreciated him 
and, and him taking me under his wing is in the burbs, but I never really got to thank him for it. So it was my opportunity to get to, to, to thank him all these years later for, for just, he, you know, he took the time, he recognized my work and he let me know he recognized my work. And I was already a big Bruce Stern fan. And for him to do that, uh, meant the world to me. And so it was really great to tell him all those years later and get to watch him work again. I just think he's, his brain is so fast. He's such a, you know, he is, he's processing it, you know, light speed compared to me, you know? So well, you, you look at him and he's been so consistent and he's just done this, his body of work. It's one of those ones where you go, my God, man, when, when will it stop with him? Because it's just it, the level of stuff, his performances now, not unlike Christopher Lloyd, who is just in this other one, they're yes. both doing incredible work way past when they say it might be time to hang up the spurs. Uh, and that, that has to be an inspiration, I would assume. Well, Bruce Dern, I mean, yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's a character enough, character enough type of actor that he can work till, till the day he dies. But what's really, when you watch him work, he's, he, uh, you know, they talk like it's called mainstream of consciousness where you just free flow associate what you're seeing in, in the moment. He does that when he works and, he, 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 you know, sometimes he just breaks away from the dial and he's just like saying things that he's seeing, but that's not easy to do. It's not easy no. to, 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 uh, connect that, what you're seeing and then being able to articulate it and keep seeing and keep articulating. And he does that and he just comes up with the wildest shit that comes out of his mouth. And either as you know, a director, you use it or you don't, but you know, a perfect example, it would be the line, Hey, Pinocchio, where are you going in the burbs, which people yeah, love yeah. that line that just came out of his mouth when he saw me in that outfit right away. It just, you know, and it was, it was, you couldn't have wrote, wrote, written, whatever the right word is, a better freaking line, you know, but that's, you know, he, he does that. And there's a freedom that he allows himself to do that, that, uh, that I, I don't often do, but he's like, at this point, he's like, I can, you know, I'm Bruce Dern. I'm 70 years old, do whatever the hell I want, you know, take what you, take what you like, leave the rest, you know, there's but this thing that genius. I think if you start playing a little bit older than you are in your forties, People, when you look, when you're in your seventies, like, he looks amazing. Like he, look, he looks five years older than he did in the eighties. So. Yeah, I'm that opposite guy. I've always looked a little younger than I am, which of course worked really well for me in the eighties when the idea was to be 18 and be legal to work, but be, look 15. So but I made you, that work for me. You're coming to the other side of that now though, where, and yes. that's the nice thing about working when you're doing a lot of character roles, when you're doing a character actor's roles, when you're doing that kind of work that you can it, you know, you look at some, like some of my favorite actors are those ones that just, they would show up one or two scenes, do their thing. But when they show up, you're like, oh, oh, here it comes. This is, this is going to be that thing that I get to see for a minute. And then eventually directors find them and go, oh, no, no, that guy that's one or two scenes and everything. I want him to be the focus of this. Right. And, and they, you get and they just hope that movie does something. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's funny. Like, you know, Billy Zane, he was also in hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't get to work with him. Uh, directly uh i remember when we were doing memphis bell and we were talking about these things and you know talking about being a character actor, like he's like man shut up you're gonna work forever <laughs> you know and he's been you know he's he's he's, he's kind of right about that um but you know you go through stages like i i, I and you have to kind of figure out where you're at um when you've been in it this, you know 30 plus years several decades you have to kind of you have to be able to go okay what do I look like now and what kind of roles are there for that now? And, and you hope there's some kind of fit, you know? Um, I think that this, it's sometimes you go through tweener ages where there's not as much right for you. And I think I'm in a little bit of one of those right now, even though I've luckily still been working, knock on wood, where's some wood. Um, but I think, I kind of think sixties might be even a sweeter spot than where I'm in now. I will see, but I think so. I think the one thing with in this age, I think that so many roles in your fifties have to be the established guy. Like you have mm -hmm. to be the head of the law firm or, you know, like that, right. You're the, you're, you're the, you know, you're the, you're, you're the captain of, of the police. And so those are certain guys, right. Those are certain, you know, white collar, silver hair, established, sure. I'm the authority kind of guy. And that's not necessarily my sweet spot. You know what I mean? There are guys, there's like 10 guys, 20 guys, that's all they do. And that's all they'll ever do. Right. And yeah. then they have it down to a T. So, you know, I'm a little bit, I think I'm a little bit more of a blue collar guy. And I mean, I look, you know, I get cast in like civil war movies because I look like I'm from Virginia. 
You know what I mean? I've been there and I do. Yeah. I'm like shocked. I'm like, my God, I could be someone's cousin. I cannot believe how, how much I look like I'm from West Virginia, you know? So, you know, you get certain things based on your talent and your looks and, uh, you know, so, so I don't know, you know, in this age, in this age, sort of figuring out and, and starting to learn to try to have that more of an authority gravitas thing. I just did a, a show for BET called tales, did a guest arts, an anthology show, each one's separate episode entirely but i play uh, a sergeant he's a bad cop but like you know definitely the mother cop with me the girl she's like so much younger than me she's like in her 20s you know and so it's like did i carry that authority you know i guess we'll find out when we see it you know but uh it was nice to you know put me in a uniform and see what that was like you know uh i played sheriffs but to display more like almost like lapd black you know I was like, hmm, let's see what this, so we'll find out when we, you know, when I see it, if it's any good or not, or if I pulled it off, but, uh, you know, I, I know you have to, I sort of call it finding guys with ties. I'm at that age now, you know, playing guys with ties. Well, so, we'll you, you kind of, you can have your look maybe get you invited to the table. You might show up, but really the work is what's going to sell that in the end. Cause there's people that don't fit the look that don't fit the role that don't fit that thing. And there's people that just, there's performances that are undeniable that get you past that thing. Um, yeah. If it's the grizzled sh- sheriff or the, you know, chief of police and it's a 17 year old actor, m- maybe that's not the best choice for that to sell it, but there's probably somebody out there who could make you forget. Oh, sure. 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 But I'm just saying, I think as an actor, you go through stages, like, you know, I went through this after my you eighties know, run, I had to sort of refigure out what to do. Cause the market at that time, in my opinion, was there was no 20-something roles. There's 20-something right. roles now. But it was like you're either in high school, college, or you were like 35. Yeah. And I looked still like a baby face. So I was like, what am I going to do, right? So I was like, well, what do you do best and what can you do that you can play older? And I'm like, bad guys, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm growing the hair out again. I'm combing it back and I'm growing a goatee and I'm going to age myself up a little bit and I'm going to do Mad Dogs. And in the 90s, I had a really good run doing Mad Dogs. You know, I sort of figured out the formula. And then I could see the writing on the wall that that sort of was playing itself out. And I was also tired of it. I just, I'd gone through a divorce and I was angry and I used all that anger in my work and I wasn't angry anymore. And, but I knew my team was no way they were going to want to hear what I had to say. Like, Hey, remember I used to do comedy and because mm-hmm. it was low hanging fruit for them. All they care about is making money, right? They don't care about, again, your agents and managers don't care about your artistic desires. They, they really, they'll show you, eh, they don't give a fuck. Let me tell you right now. Sorry, that was they get paid to do. <laughs> bleep it out if you want. But, no, not but, at all. but so what I did was uh, I just shaved my hair all off without telling them and took pictures. And I'll tell you, they didn't like it. And, and I said, well, guess what? I'm not doing any bad guys. And I sat out for like almost a year because they wouldn't do what I wanted and they wouldn't, I would do what they wanted. And what happened was I went up for a, a movie, a Sean Penn movie called uh, Sam I Am. I didn't get it, but the, the casting directors liked the new short hair. They were like, oh, we like this look. They're the ones who brought me in for Sweet Home Alabama, oh. which was like a huge break, right? Big theatrical release film mm-hmm. in a role people hadn't seen me in. All of a sudden, you know, they, my, my team doesn't want to acknowledge I've shifted the game, so I had to just let them go, and I got a new team. And, of course, all they want to talk about is the new film and how I do comedy, right? And all of a sudden, I'm going up. And that's how it works, you know? But yeah. you got to be the one who, who stands your ground and decides what direction you're going. And, you know, you live and die by the sword. But, uh, you know, I, I did that, and then I came back, and I did a detective, and they were still, like, sending me up for the old stuff. And I'm like, I just went two for two on what you basically said to my face, I cannot do. And I made you more money. You should like get with the program, but they wouldn't. They, huh. they their egos wouldn't allow them. They couldn't be wrong, you know. Sure. So you, you have to just move on. Well, it's. I, I think that the way that you started that is why that worked, because you took an honest assessment of yourself and said, "Okay, what can I do? What's the thing that makes sense at this point for me?" Instead of having it go the other way, where we often have a vision of ourselves that's just not accurate in our minds. Um, right. I, I don't, when I think about myself, I don't have gray hair, you know, I, when I, <laughs> that, that is clear as day that I, I'm, I'm solidly in my forties now. I don't feel like that the way that oh, I, of course not emotionally, you do not feel like that. That's, that's the interesting thing. We emotionally, 
we're still the com whatever conversation we're having out loud or in our head that's either five years old or 15 years old is still how we feel and how we behave, even though the exterior is getting older by the day. <laughs> and most people don't recognize that. Most people don't recognize the age level conversation they're having. Sometimes people are having very, very baby conversations, but they're acting like they're you know, old and mature. But yeah, yeah you yeah. have to, I think, as an actor, you have to though, right? Because it's a visual medium. I mean, you know, it's, it is what it is. So you, yeah, I think you have to be able to literally look in the mirror and go, okay, what's going on now? And you have to look at the market too. And you have to, you know, try to assess what's possible. Um, and then, and then just where you are at, at an emotional state too, what kind of work you want to do. And like I said, it's, it's tough because all actors say they can do anything. Like and 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 it, so you're so you're talking to agents and managers and casting directors who've heard that a thousand times and just don't sure. even hear what you're saying. But like you know, I would think in my case, I think I have a pretty wide range. I think I think I can play the devil and I think I can play Jesus. And <laughs> if you don't believe me, give me the role or at least give me an attempt to uh, read the role for you and let's see because I think I'll show you I can. But there are actors who say that who can't do that. You know what I mean? They just can't do it. No, there's roles I can't do. There's roles I'm not as good at. Like I was saying, you know, there are authority figure roles that are, there's guys who just, that's, you can't, you know, I mean, look, it's a very competitive business. You know, there's guys, there's like 10, 12, 20 guys who can do one certain thing super well. And those are the same guys you'll see in those same auditions over and over and over again. And they just kind of rotate like, oh, you know, they pick this one this time and they pick that one the next time. And unless one of them gets in something big enough that it sort of jumps them up and they become the, the one to pick just because they have a more name value. It's, it's a bunch of gatekeepers ex, uh, making a decision. You got like 10, 15 people going, I think it's this one. I think it's that one. And then they make a choice. You're, you're, there's no right answer. You know, it's just how, it, cause I know guys, I know like I said, guys are like, they're big buff ball head guys. This is the same 10 dudes every audition and they just mm -hmm. rotate. You yeah. know, like this guy gets three jobs this year because this guy gets three jobs doing this, you know, and that's it. That's how it works. No, and it's uh with that role, it's there. They're looking for the Michael Rooker type, and they have the the twenty people that they're plug and playing when he's not the guy they're going to. And right, because Michael Rooker's the best at it, so he he's his first choice. <laughs> he's the best in my estimation. But I, I oh, have he plays an asshole as good as it comes. Are you kidding me? He's the best. Yeah, he's so fun to watch when he's doing it. He's playing a bad guy, but you can see he's enjoying it every step of the way. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, but I think I, you're one of those people that because this has all just kind of been around the idea of longevity, and you know you're coming up on 40 years of having yeah. a professional career, and you don't look like you're wanting to stop anytime soon. And I think it's because you have that right mindset towards it. And I think that even outside of film or art or anything else, that we could all use that perspective on our work and our career that we have to be malleable, and because we feel like we deserve something, we have to earn it. And that goes, I think the, the if you look at your overlap with the people that you've worked with, you know, you're talking about Billy Zane, there you are almost 40 years later, you know, 36 yeah. or 33 years later, whatever that is at this point, yeah. coming yeah. back and working with him again. And it's like, oh, yeah. Tony Todd, you worked with him before you worked with him yeah. before. It's like uh, Bruce Stern worked with him. And it's like that, just that one movie, the entire cast, you've had m one or multiple experiences with. And that, True. I think you're, you weren't the asshole on set. So if, if, I, if there's one advice, one piece of advice that I've taken seriously, um, don't be an asshole in your job and people will want to work with you again. You don't know where you'll be turning your resume in next. Yeah. And film business is true. I mean, you know, the reality is, you know, again, there's 30 guys who could do the job you're doing. And, you know, if, you know, if you're a jerk off, they'd rather pick somebody who's pleasant. One of the 30 guys who's fun to work with. than you know, one of the 30 guys who's a jerk off it's that's, Absolutely true. But back to what you were saying, though, I think you have to be honest with yourself, too, about where you, you know, you're, you know, I'm not always enthusiastic about working at this age. I've been at this, I've been at this my entire adult life. Okay. Yeah. And, and there's been times where I've had a lot of pressure to get jobs just to keep, you know, a roof over me and my kid's head or whatever. You know what I mean? I've been through that grind. Um, I'm at, I'm, I'm at a little bit of a different stage now where it's, where I want to be a little more choosy and I don't, and I'm in a sure. position where I can be a little more choosy and try to find things that I can, you know, can be interested in doing. 
and and then I, and I, and if I look at some actors uh, that I know that are that are very successful and they're in their seventies or whatever, and 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 I just don't. I honestly ask myself sometimes, what's keeping them going? I don't know anymore. Like from where I am, I'm like, what what keeps them motivated? And, and honestly, sometimes I'm not really. No, I don't know if it's any more than that they just want to stay relevant. And I don't know that that's my motivation at this point. You know what I mean? I was never that relevant to begin with, so it doesn't really matter, you know? Uh, I think it's, what's more interesting is can I find work to do that I want to do? But uh, but you, you, there are times you need to say, I need a break, you know? I need a break. Step out of this game for a while. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not in LA anymore, you know, I left a few years ago and, and that's been great because LA is just a constant reminder to all your successes and failures at all time. You know, it's like always in your face. The business is all, you can't go to exactly. Starbucks without like five people writing scripts and the other five taking a meeting and you're hearing it. You're just like, I just want to have fucking coffee, man. You know, 